This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Sam VR, Israel, Tim, Joanna, and Amara. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Sam VR, who asks, When Jesus died on the cross, did it instantly change from you have to believe he will come to he already did? Yes, Sam, it did change. The apostles spread the good news by declaring that the Messiah has come and calling on people to believe that Jesus is the one. So they were literally telling people who believed the Messiah would come that they should put their hope in the fact that the Messiah had already come. But let's think of it this way, Sam. Salvation has always meant believing in Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture. Since that revealing happens little by little throughout the Bible, people in the Old Testament had much less knowledge than those in the New Testament. Even in the New Testament, there is a progression. People in the Gospels know less than those in the book of Acts, for example. If you think about it, though, there's a way to sum up what we're called to believe that would apply at every point in history. Here it is. We must believe that God will keep his covenant promise of salvation. Abraham believed and was justified by faith, just like we are, even though he didn't know the name of Jesus because he believed God would fulfill his promise. As the Bible reveals more about how God fulfills that promise, including the coming of Jesus and his crucifixion, then yes, there is more context to what we believe. But I wouldn't say we have to believe more than they did. Instead, the Bible treats this extra knowledge as an advantage to us. It's easier for us because the mystery has been revealed. And now Israel asks, does everyone want to go to heaven? If you ask them, Israel, a lot of people would say that they don't want to go to heaven, that they don't want to see God face to face. In fact, they might not believe there is such a place as heaven or believe that God is real. But there is something that every human being experiences, whether they realize what it is or not. They feel the alienation from God that sin causes. Alienation means distance or absence. When people who should love each other are fighting instead, we say they are alienated from each other. That's the fundamental problem of sin. Because of human sin, we cannot commune with God the way we were made to do. Death, sickness, suffering, depression, all of these are consequences of sin, and everyone feels their effect. Not only that, But we all long for this damage to be healed. We struggle against these things to the best of our ability, whether we understand their source or not. What that means is that even people who don't think they are longing for God really are. They just don't understand that that's what it is. In fact, I think it's fair to say that none of us fully comprehend that longing, even those of us who know what it is. 
Only when we see God face to face and commune with him will we know fully, Paul writes, even as we have been fully known. Now it's time for the big question. Our big question this week comes from Tim. Let's give him a round of applause. Here's Tim's question. Why did Jesus have to pay for our sins? Why couldn't he just say whoever believes in him could go to heaven? Tim, this is a great question, one that a lot of people wonder about. If God is all-powerful and he hates sin and his plan for humanity is to save us from sin and reunite us to him, then why can't he just snap his fingers and do it? Why does it take so long, thousands of years, and why does it take so much sacrifice, including the death of Jesus on the cross? Let's take a moment and formulate the question clearly. Jesus' death on the cross is called the atonement because he shed his blood to pay for or atone for our sins, in the same way that an Old Testament sacrificial animal's blood would be shed on the altar to cover the transgressions of the people. In fact, all those Old Testament sacrifices were signs and foreshadowing of the one ultimate sacrifice for sin that Jesus would make. So, if the crucifixion is the atonement, then the question is, Why was the atonement necessary? Couldn't God have solved the problem of sin in a quicker, easier way? That's what we want to think about. But first, consider this. There's a relationship between problems and solutions. Easy problems need easy solutions, while difficult problems demand harder solutions. That means that when it comes to sin, the difficulty of the solution will depend on how bad the problem is. If sin is no big deal, then the answer can be quick and easy. But if sin is a terrible disaster, then the answer will demand much more. Now, sin is the cause of death and destruction, so it's clearly a terrible disaster. If the atonement happened, then we can be sure that nothing less than that would have solved the problem of sin. So the more you realize the price that Jesus paid, the more clearly you see the terror of sin. Now, many people today feel that the atonement was too much, but that's because they don't see the real scale of the evil the atonement had to overcome. The way the Bible presents the cross to us, there are two things that are clear. First, the only way for salvation to come was through the work of Jesus, from his incarnation to his perfect obedience, to his sacrifice, to his resurrection. Only that can save us from our sin. There's no other way. Secondly, that only God has the power to do this. No human being could undo the damage. Only God could. And there was no other way than for the Son of God to become fully human and offer himself up for his people. In Romans 5, Paul compares the work of Jesus to the work of Adam. Just as Adam sinned on behalf of all his people and brought death and destruction into the world, so Jesus lived and died righteously on behalf of all his people and delivered us from death into life. The atonement, in other words, undoes the fall. 
Adam ate of the forbidden tree and brought us down. But Jesus embraced the cursed tree of the cross, and when he was lifted up, he drew us to himself. Remember this too. God is the creator and sustainer of the whole universe from beginning to end. He's not just the maker of the physical world, but also the providential ruler of all history, the Lord of time. That means he was never going to cut time and history short, but was going to work in and through time and history in the way that he has. Now, we may be impatient because our sense of time is short, but God has all the time in the world. Obviously, because of our human limitations, we cannot fully comprehend why God does what he does and the way that he does it. But we can trust that his ways are not arbitrary or unnecessary. Whatever he ordains is right. If the atonement happened, then you can be sure it was necessary, and there can be no salvation without it. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. First, Joanna asks, Do you have the books of the Bible memorized in order, and do you like to draw? Well, Joanna, when I was a kid, I memorized all the books of the Bible, and that's been a huge help for me for the rest of my life, since it makes finding particular passages a lot easier. The more you read your Bible, the easier it becomes. Of course, the older you get, the more your memory has a tendency to slip. Sometimes I'll have to recite the list in my head to remember where exactly some of the smaller books are located. And yes, I do like to draw. In fact, when I was young, my first dream was to be a comic book illustrator. The first stories I wrote, in fact, were comics. My drawing skills have not really improved since then, which is why whenever you see one of my drawings, it looks like it was done by a nine-year-old boy. And finally, Amara asks, what is your favorite instrument? Amara, I tried and failed to learn the saxophone and also the bagpipes. In hindsight, though, that doesn't make me feel too bad. If I had it all to do over again, the one instrument that I wish I'd learned was the cello. I had a professor who was both a novelist and a cellist, and to me that was a great combination. I just love the sound of the cello. One of my favorite albums of all times is The Complete Works for Cello of Gabriel Fauré by the cellist Stephen Iserlis. I've listened to it hundreds of times, maybe thousands. I suppose different instruments speak to different people, but the cello is the one that's always spoken to me. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. Never be afraid to ask, and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking the big questions.